Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. What is going on, everybody? Welcome, all of you new listeners from Apple Podcast. I'm super excited to get you guys in on all this information. Um, You know, we are 80 plus episodes in and it's not slowing down now. If you guys follow me on TikTok, you know that I do a lot of this stuff on the side as well, just to give it a visual component. So if you guys are not on TikTok, I've been putting it on Instagram as well um, as YouTube, just to give everybody a little bit of a refreshing difference in uh, medium because uh, here you've got audio you've got audio alone and you can only I feel like listen to this so much before you want to see something and that's the whole point of the TikTok Instagram and YouTube side of this is so you get a visual component but um, guys well welcome back we are going to be talking about fake names today and why people use them But, uh, you know, how we always like to look at history and what historical value things have, like a human name, or just, I guess, a name on anything. But uh, let's talk about when was the first human named? You know, this is a question that I was thinking to myself. I'm like, man, I I have no idea. I have no idea when the first person was named. I mean, we look at people in history and we give them names, but, you know, that might not be their name. They may not even had a name at the time and we just have to address them because that's part of our culture is that everything has a name just like time itself everything needs to be attached to time so anything outside of that would just be be weird it would be like multiversal and you know science fiction so who was the first named human okay well um when we look at uh just some of the documented stuff in history we look back in china So pottery shards and other uh, artifacts uncovered in China often bear the curious symbols dating from the dawn of Chinese writing between 6600 and 6200 BC called, you know how good I am at pronouncing things, it's the Jiahu, G-J-I-A-H-U symbols, Um, and they're not part of a written language, but merely personally invented symbols scratched onto pottery to mark ownership by a specific individual. In other words, kind of a name. So there we go. We kind of have a um, a first look at what potentially a name could look like in this old age time. It is, it's not exactly what we think of as names, but it is something. It gives something kind of an ownership. It's like, okay, well, this is what we call this. So then we look at Sumeria, okay? So the first recorded name given in an actual writing system can be found on clay tablets dating from the Jemdet Nazar, so N-A-S-R, period in Sumeria between 3200 and 3100 BC. So that is another 3,000 years later. And that's where we find the Sumerian tablets, uh, which you could look that up online. It's There's some cuneiforms, which are like clay, um, I guess, impressions. So things on like a clay tablet. So the tablets are not profound um, treatises on human thinking, but um, accounting ledgers for telling up goods and possessions kind of what is what we see here. So some of the first names of those uh, are slave owners, Gal Sal and his two slaves, Ep. 
NPAPX and Suk Sukalger, um, and this is again 3200 to 3100. So another name is that of Turgunu Sangha, uh, who seems to be have been an accountant, I guess, for the Turgunu family. So there are more names from this period, uh, but none that appear much before 3200. So we start to see what people are putting down and people are applying names to themselves. So I'm sure people were calling themselves things. That would be ridiculous. Um, you know, I think we're not, I think we are tend to think that everyone was like ooga booga kind of stuff back then, but people, you know, they, they had names. People obviously had names. People had references to themselves, references to other people, but people maybe just didn't feel the need to write things down. Um, but when we start looking at money transfers and uh, contracts and ledgers and stuff like that, people kind of felt the need to put this stuff down. I think that was important because it's referenceable. You know, you can look back and reference um, delineation between two different people or individuals or stuff like that. So now we're going to jump into Egypt. So Egypt, uh, we look um, we look at Ari Hor, which is the uh, which is I R Y H O R. I don't want you guys getting the wrong idea there. So that's the mouth of Horus. Uh, would be the earliest name we know dating from about 3200 BC. Little is known about King Erihor, other than his name found on pottery shards in one of the oldest tombs in Abydos, through, uh, based, uh, so, though based on his burial, uh, burial. He was a pre-dynastic king of Upper Egypt. So King Ka, from around the same time, was the first to put his name inside a box shape Sirik, um, which is S-E-R-E-K-H, as an indicator of kingship. So now we start to see references to lineage, provenance, ownership, all this kind of stuff when it comes to people high up. So these were people referencing. So maybe it was like an assistant or whatever they called him back in the day. An assistant that would say, okay, this is owned by this fella. Anybody who touches it gets their hands ripped off. So... Maybe that's what it was used for. I might be going on the limb on that, but I feel like that might be what it is. So following King Ka and King um, Iri Hor, we also have kings with um, glyphs, symbols of Crocodile King, Scorpion King, followed by the name of the first pharaoh, which is Narmer, which is the Catfish King. Doesn't sound as crazy as like the cool Scorpion King or Crocodile King, but we've got the Catfish, catfish King, which I've never heard of. Um, who united both Upper and Lower Egypt and together with his wife, um, Nithotep, lived between 3150 and 3125. She, by the way, is the oldest woman to be mentioned by name. So Nithotep means the goddess uh, Neith is satisfied. Okay, so, um, yeah, so I guess other civilizations arriving at writing names much later than Chinese, Sumerians, and Egypt, but we, we still talk about the those kind of areas. Those are leaps and bounds before any of this other stuff happened. Okay, then next up, we're going to talk about Mediterranean. So Anita, which uh, apparently has no meaning, was the king of the Hittite city of Kusara. So he lived around 1700 BC and is the earliest known ruler to compose a text in the Hittite language, which is the oldest known Indo-European text. So Linear B is a, is a syllabic script that predates uh, the Greek alphabet by several centuries. So the oldest writing dates to about 1450 BC. Some um, Gnosis Linear B tablets mention people by name. So a name, a number of Mycenaean names have exact equivalents in Homer, uh, such as Hector, which means holding fast. 
So if your name's Hector, there you go, holding fast, got a name, or got a cool uh, background to your name. That's also something you could talk about is like the meanings behind name. I feel like that's pretty cool um, because they had to be invented and they had to have meanings behind it. I feel like people don't know the meanings behind it, nor do they really care when they name their kids anymore. It's just like, oh, that sounds cool. Or I don't know somebody that sucks that has that name. So following many other ancient naming traditions, even uh, ancient Greek names have an intrinsic meaning. For example, Archimedes means master of thought from the Greek element um, master combined with to think or to be mindful for, uh, of. So, And of course, nearly all Egyptian names have a separate meaning, such as Amuntat Anka, whose uh, glyph name can be directly transcribed with the words Amun's image living we know him more popular as Tutankhamun. Okay, so let's jump into Mayans. Okay, the Mayans rose to prominence around AD 250, so we're flip side of BC into AD. The oldest clearly named king is given by a glyph that translates into Yax Abazuk, which literally means first sh first step shark. That sounds cool. Okay, so he was the first king of Tikal who ruled Sometime between 63 and 90 AD, much later in 420 AD, we have the purported, um, or purported, sorry, that was, oh, I'm not awake yet, <laughs> founder of Kopan Kinich Yaks uh, Kukama, <laughs> whose name means sun-eyed resplendent Quextal Macaw. That's cool. That's like a pretty sweet one. Um, and the people of Africa, Australia, and North America all had spoken languages but not written symbolism. So until writing was imported to these areas, we have no documentable record of names. So kind of give you a history of names and the importance of it for some people. Um, and the whole idea behind this particular episode is about like pseudonames, you know, and there's plenty of people have it. I'm actually doing a little series about, um, you know, a lot of celebrities we know about, but um, they don't even use their real names. But it's people that we are very familiar with. We know their names. They even sound like real names. But why do they use a fake name? So we're going to talk about reasons authors and um, celebrities use pseudonames and then how to concoct your own. So the definition of a pseudoname, we've we've already gone around the history here. We, we know why names kind of have value and why um, they're presented around what time did they start. But... Um, why do people now, they have their names, but they want to change them, and what's the usefulness to it? Um, so what is a pseudoname? So the definition of a pseudoname is a fake name used by a writer when writing and publishing their work in order to protect themselves or increase the chance of success. This also applies to stage names, okay? So while author pseudonames are less widely used now, um, especially in the digital age because everything has a footprint, uh, there are still a number of reasons why a writer might choose to use one. Okay, so four reasons authors use pseudonames. Let's talk about them. So one, they want to try something new. So when a famous author known for writing a specific type of novel wants to tackle a different genre, they may choose to adopt an assumed name. So Agatha Christie adopted the false name um, Mary Westmacott. Westmacott. I don't feel like that's not a very good, good name, but she's a very popular writer, so I'm sure it is. Um, but when she wrote... Um, or I guess that was when she wrote romance romance novels to have the freedom of exploring a new genre without disappointing the expectations of her mystery novel fan base. So she kind of went a different direction and did not want people thinking, well, 
this is an Agatha Christie novel. This has got to be good. And then when it's all lovey-dovey instead of mystery, people might say, eh, she fell off. So I get that. Number two, they need a fresh start. So not every novel becomes a bestseller. So in fact, some can be universally hated. So a new name can give an author uh, another chance to release their work without bias or predisposition and bypass the possibility that their writing will be immediately rejected upon seeing their name. This is true for a lot of things. And I feel like um, if you guys have ever door dashed, I know this seems like a weird comparison. There's a lot of um, ghost kitchens that masquerade as like normal places so like denny's has like a burger place and then um which under a different name but it comes from the same kitchen chuck e cheese even sells pizza out of their kitchen under a different name you can look that one up that's interesting so that's kind of a, a different way to do it. you're rebranding yourself so number three they can't publish under the real name so this is like a historically significant one so there was especially the case for female authors dating back in the 19th centuries um, who would not get published because they were simply women. So they adopted their alter egos and different pen names in order to write what they wanted while keeping their real identity a secret. So this was also used by Hollywood, uh, Hollywood sorry, Hollyweird, Hollywood screenwriters um, who were blacklisted during the McCarthy era of the 1940s and 50s. So Today, many writers um, may use pen names to disguise their true identities for their day jobs, not wanting their bosses or colleagues to know that they write a particular genre and the subject to scrutiny or embarrassment. So it might uh, be unsettling for some to find out that a surgeon is a prolific writer of Myrtle or murder thriller novels. You know, they might be getting some of their... Um, some of their inspiration from their work. So number four is the real name is already in use. That's another one. So an author may share the name of another well-owned author. So there's over 4,000 people in the United States who have the same name James Patterson, for example. Okay, So maybe even a famous literary character where people would just, like if your name was Hannibal, people would like freak out. You know, that's what uh, Hannibal Buress, which is the comedian, he always talks about the fact that like people are like, oh, your name's Hannibal? Like, doesn't that get weird? And it's like, yeah, I'm not the murderer dude, though. So he gets that. Um, so people just want to change their name up because of the um, synonymous with some other weird, maybe a killer or something like that. If it was Jeffrey Dahmer wanted to write something, you know, that might be a little hard. So how do you use a pen name? Okay, so find a name and claim it. So pick a name that isn't uh, also the name of a famous person or public figure. That's important. Search the U.S. Trademark Office site to ensure that you aren't infringing on any uh, existing trademarks. And then secure the domain name because people easily link to your pseudoname. Uh, or people can easily link, sorry. If you plan on getting your uh, payments made out to your pseudoname, you'll need to file a fictitious business name statement. That's kind of an interesting thing. So any of you who are planning to use a pen name, make sure you do that. So use the name on your selected work. So put it in your book covers and copyright, uh, copyright notice just to get people interested in it and familiar with it. Use it on your works and uh, the way you, you would use your legal name. So the exact same way. Okay, so inform your publisher or your, let's say you're an actor, inform your, um, say your agent probably. It'd be like the similar, it's kind of same thing and also use it all of your uh, casting calls, all that kind of stuff. So inform your publisher. So uh, register the work. You can either register it under the pseudonym. You can use your name or both, whichever you pick, but make sure it's registered to you to ensure copyright protection. Now, what are some famous examples of pseudonyms? So... 
I have the series I was talking about on TikTok you can check out. So um, let's check out some of these. I'm not going to do all of them. I think uh, you'll get the point. Um, okay, so Theodore Seuss Geisel went by infamous um, title Dr. Seuss as an homage to his parents. But his use of the pen name started much earlier, earlier when he was banned from writing for his school's humor magazine after caught drinking by the dean. Wow, Dr. Seuss. All right, so we've got Mary Ann Evans published works under the pseudonym George Eliot to avoid being pigeonholed into writing light romances and to also have her writing judged fairly and separately from her previous work. Stephen King published five novels as Richard Bachman in the 70s and 80s to circumvent the old idea that authors should not publish more than one book per year. So Joanne Rowling, um, author of the Harry Potter series, um, is better known by her pen name J.K. Rowling, uh, used another pseudonym, Robert Galbraith, to publish crime fiction novels, The Cuckoo's Calling, a George, I mean, a genre that Rowling had been a fan of but could not, she couldn't write freely about it because obviously Harry Potter was so big, people would not want to probably read it. So Samuel Clemens um, was a new journalist who also wrote scathing satires, many of which led to embarrassment. So although he would choose a few pen names uh, during his time as a writer, Mark Twain became his nom de guerre of choice, which are words he gathered words he gathered during his time as an apprentice steamboat pilot. So, how do you come up with a stage name? What are the steps? What is the process? Okay, so how do we come up with them? So, use a variation of your actual name. So, if you have a distinctive first name or middle name, consider using that as a professional name. Okay, so you can also take select letters from your full name and rearrange them to make a new name for yourself, like artist Halsey, whose uh, birth name is Ashley. Okay, so that is just Ashley kind of thrown into a... Scrabble contain no not Scrabble. What is the one what's the one board game where you shake it up? I don't even remember. Hmm. Okay, well, little brain fart. But um yeah, you shake it up and you need to kind of throw the letters all over the place and it seems like that is what she did. So number two is use a childhood name as inspiration. So if you have a nickname from childhood that make uh, that you really liked, um, you can use it as um, an alteration there for your moniker. So Pick a word that embodies your style. So some stage names are meant to embody a particular image, like Guns and Roses, lead uh, guitarist, great stage name Slash. So if you have a specific style or word that you think represents your persona, use that as a stage name. Okay, or an inspiration one for one. So think about what artists inspire you. So turn to the artists that you love, uh, whether it's a musician, author, director, and who have inspired your work when coming up with your own artist's name. So try brainstorming a couple of the ideas, uh, make a list of your favorite names, then choose the one that best suits you, kind of say it over and over again, have your friends tell you uh, whether it sucks or not, and um, yeah, that's kind of the best way to do it, I would say, but have fun with them. You know, we always had fun coming up with like fictional, I know we used to do in school, we would write fiction a lot and just like a couple pages, so we'd always come up with a name and stuff for it, and it was always fun to just do that. Uh, also, it's like a gamer tag. You know, we talk about this with stuff, uh, with directors, actors, musicians, but really, you know, we've all come up with screen names, 
you know, and then there's, which if you want to reference a episode before this, I talk about catfishing. So people like using fake names online. So check that out. That's an important episode, I would say. But um, yeah, gamer tags for Xbox, PlayStation, all that stuff, and our online uh, aliases, which are important for either anonymity or whatever you want to do there. Um, I know mine is Joe Rowe, so J-O-R-O, because my name's Joseph Rowan. Pretty easy, it was a nickname in school, so you know that comes from one of these ways to come up with your own name there. So guys, remember with faked items, there are those that produce them, uh, those that purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.